0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. So we have been studying the book of 1 Corinthians as one book in the New Testament. New Testament are the books that were written after the life of Jesus. And it's probably the very first book that's written in the New Testament chronologically. It's written by the apostle Paul somewhere in the 55 to 57 AD period. And he's writing to a group of people he had spent a year and a half of his life with. They lived in the city of Corinth. They were Greek, part of the Roman empire now. And Paul introduces them to the person of Jesus. And it's been some time, probably a couple of years since he's been with them. And guess what? A church became dysfunctional. Never heard of a dysfunctional church before, have you? And they are like involved. So he writes a big portion of the book instructing, but from chapter 11 on, it's correctional. And he introduces that whole subject this way. He says, I I need to correct you because your meetings do more harm than good. You never want to hear the leader of your church say, you should just quit meeting because your meetings are so bad. They hurt more than they help, all right? And he's corrected them in terms of their uh, perspective on communion. And now it's in terms of their perspective on spiritual gifts, that they're really out of balance. And there's this chaos that's entered the church. And he writes this entire chapter to correct them. We're going to talk about two main things. Next week, we'll cover prophecy. Okay, that's a big subject of chapter 14. This week, we're going to look at, by the way, this chapter would be one of the most controversial inside of the church in the whole world. I mean, they're like denominations have split over this chapter. So it's about tongues, okay, tongues. So for anybody who just super got nervous when I said that word, hang in there. This church, people watching, people in the room, we're kind of a melting pot. We have everything from charismatics to addicts here, right? We're like all between, And I would say there's probably three responses we'll have to this chapter. Uh, Some of you are like, yes, I've been waiting for you to talk about this. It is about time you're nodding your head aggressively. (laughs) That's funny. Like, finally, right? And I'm really excited for you to listen to this, but I also want you to pay careful attention to the problem that Paul is addressing. Okay. And now some of us, there's probably a third of us who would say, um, Are you serious? This is a church that believes in that kind of stuff? Like, what are you gonna do, hand me a snake and tell me to dance with it afterwards? Like, you got nervous, here's what I'd ask of you, hang in there, here's what we're committed to at this, in this community, is we, we're not trying to develop a theology and then align everything with it. We study the Bible and then we adjust our theology (laughs) to match the Bible. Okay, So if you've been taught something really different, I just want you to hear the text. Hear the text, okay? And then there's a third of us who are like, I have no idea what you're talking about when you even said that word tongues, okay? And that, hopefully at the end of this, you'll you're like, oh, okay, that's weird, but I understand now, okay? Now, before we read the text, here's the challenge, okay? Here's the challenge. And if we don't understand the challenge, it'll be hard for us to understand the text. So the church in Corinth believes in these things called spiritual gifts. And again, the spiritual gifts are simply this. Jesus asked his disciples to go and continue to do the work that he started here on planet earth, okay? To be his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece. To engage a broken world and bring about restoration. Now, we can't do that by ourselves. So Jesus said, and here's what I'll do. I will give you my spirit. So this empowering work that will allow supernatural things to happen through the lives of ordinary people. These are these spiritual gifts. So here's what the Corinthians have done. They've taken one spiritual gift and it would be the gifts of spiritual language. Glossa is the actual term in Greek. When it's plural, it's glossolalia. And they have decided that this glossa, the spiritual language is kind of the epitome of spiritual depth. That if you have this gift of a spiritual language, it is the utmost achievement in terms of religious endeavor. Okay, So this gift of tongues is like at the very top of their list and they value and appreciate this more than anything else. And Paul is going to try to readjust. He's not gonna to try to diminish that gift. But he's going to say, you need to put that in a proper place and understand it properly and rearrange some things in your minds. Okay. Are you ready? Read a very controversial passage of scripture. We'll read through it. I'll make some comments. And I've got four things at the end that I think will help us think through this in a significant way. Follow the way of love. Last week, chapter 13, Mark Johnson, all these gifts have to be wrapped in the context of love and eagerly Desire, not passively investigate. Eagerly desire gifts of the spirit and especially prophecy, which I'm excited to talk about next week. Because I want this to be like you're passionate about it. For anyone who speaks in a tongue, a glossa, a spiritual language, does not speak to people, but to who? God. To God. So if I came up to you after service and started to speak to you in a spiritual language, and you spoke to me in in your spiritual language, be like, this is not a helpful conversation. We don't understand what we're saying or what the other person is saying. It's just pointless. It's to God. This is a language where you speak to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the spirit. This is a language that is uh, animated by the spirit of God. But the one who prophesies, Speaking forth the truth of God speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a glossa, spiritual language, edifies themselves. So who's the beneficiary of a spiritual language? The speaker, right? So he doesn't do anything for anybody else in the room or anybody else in my small group or whatever it might be. There's this edification There's this building up, for me, it's like this personal gift, but the one who prophesies edifies or builds up the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Okay, so for any of us who are like, "Mm," Paul just says this, he wants everyone, because this is what I'd like. He's not forcing them, not requiring them, not saying that they all would, but he says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, But, but I would rather have you prophesy speaking forth God's truth. If you're going to do one or the other, he says, I want you to be prophetic. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. I want to pause here if you could leave this on the screen for a moment. I think to understand this, we're going to have to look at this whole idea of a spiritual language. I think there are three distinct forms of spiritual language that we read about in the New Testament. Here's the first one. You'll find it in Acts chapter 2, right? By the way, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 19, 10, excuse me, Acts 2, 10, and 19 are the places where you'll read about this. And uh, the first one happens the day of Pentecost. Jesus has left the earth. He's told his disciples to go to Jerusalem. And while they're waiting in this room, it's the sound of a mighty rushing wind. These flames of fire come into the room. And what happens? This is that everybody in the room goes out onto the streets and begins speaking in a glossal, a language that they did not learn. But the unique thing is, because it's Pentecost, one of the feasts where all the Jewish people from all over the Roman Empire sojourn to Jerusalem, it says, as the disciples are speaking, people from other parts of the Roman Empire hear their native language. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm from somewhere in North Africa, and I'm in Jerusalem, and I hear one of the disciples speaking the language that I grew up speaking in my home. And they're telling me about who Jesus is. So one type of spiritual language is God gives you uh, the capacity to speak a language that you didn't learn. How many people would love that? I'm like, if for a vacation, if nothing else. I'm going to Thailand, God laid on me, right? Um, now this... Occasionally happens, in fact, uh, Yaz, uh, my friend, who was here for service, he had it happen to him about a year and a half ago. He's praying, he visits all of our um, indigenous tribes here in the US and he's just praying, he's praying for a guy in a spiritual language and the guy stops him and goes, how do you know the language that my grandfather spoke? You're talking to me in a perfect language that like, and Yaz is like, I don't know, I never learned it, right? So occasionally happens, here's the second type, This is what Paul's gonna talk about in a moment. He's gonna distinguish the two. A second type is when somebody has a spiritual language, they speak out loud in a group setting and somebody else in the room has a capacity to understand it and interpret it. Really interesting, right? Now, this is kind of foreign in our context, but I grew up in a church where that happened like every weekend. So uh, like I would speak in a language and only like one person in the room Um, Zach would go like, oh, I know what he's saying. Everybody else is like, what is he saying? And then Zach speaks it out in English for everybody to hear. But here's the third type, and this is the type that is most often used in the New Testament, and this is the type that Paul is mainly addressing. It's a a private prayer language that's spiritual where I am speaking to God, and it kind of goes beyond my capacity to understand, you know, in our world, we kind of divide things up into two categories, the rational and the irrational, right? So if things are rational, like that makes sense, it's logical. If things are irrational, it's like, that doesn't make sense. I think there's a third category that we often miss and it's why we don't understand some of these things. I I made up a new word. I call it transrational, Meaning this, this brain it's just not fully functioning. Okay, I think your brain and my brain, you were meant to be running on eight cylinders and you're currently running on two. It's part of the fall of the human condition, right? And so there are just things, and this would be one of them, it just goes beyond my ability to completely understand. It's not irrational, it's just transrational. So three types of tongues, that'll help us understand what Paul says. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak In Glossa, in a spiritual language, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as a pipe or a harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. So now he gives us three illustrations to help us understand spiritual language. He says uh, a harp or a trumpet or a pipe, okay? So there's three elements that make music. What are they? They'd be melody, harmony, and rhythm. So what if I had like, I said, band, would you come back out? And Chris is playing one song. And Micah, who's singing? Micah is singing a different song in a different key. And the drummer is playing a heavy metal rhythm. Sounds like modern jazz, right? Which I've tried to like and I can't. In order for it to be, make sense, you need these three things. And Paul is saying this. Listen, an instrument, it needs to be played the right way and in concert with others, or it's just chaos. It's a cacophony. And then he uses the illustration of a trumpet. So in the ancient world, in the first century, if you were lined up for a battle and your soldiers are stretched over uh, hundreds and hundreds of yards or mile fronts, here's how you'd communicate. There was a very distinct pattern that said attack, like a, a cadence of notes. There was another cadence of notes that was retreat. There's another that says right flank forward, left flank forward. And so Paul's saying like, if there's not some thoughtfulness, if everybody's just out there like, like everybody's like, that was the trumpet, but I don't what does that mean? I don't know what to do. Okay. So he's bringing order. Next slide, please. Yes. There we go. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. So he's saying, even a spiritual language has meaning. You just don't know what it is. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Instead of thinking that spiritual language is the epitome, it's the highest gift, he says, I want you to reevaluate, and I, I don't want you to forsake that, but I want you to really pursue the gifts that change people's lives, that build people up. For this reason, the one who speaks in a gloss tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind He's unfruitful. anybody feel like they have an unfruitful mind? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you're not alone. Well, Paul says this. He says when I am praying in this spiritual way, my, it, it actually is beyond my mind. This is like a transrational thing. I don't know what I'm saying, but it's a legitimate thing. It's it's a way for my spirit to commune with my Creator. Okay. So what shall I do? Do I do one, do the other. I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now, who is now uh, put in the position of an inquirer say, amen, like good stuff to you, to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you're saying. You're giving thanks well enough, but no one is edified. It's only good for you. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Okay, we've got to pause here for a moment. Up to this time, you'd kind of think that Paul was like down on this gloss of spiritual language thing, right? Because he's been saying, hey, I need you to readjust and put it down. Every time he makes a list, tongues is at the bottom of his list. Look at that, chapter 12, 13, 14. But here, Paul drops this. He actually says, I pray in tongues, more than all of you. This is this is really vital and important for Paul. But he says, I do it. It's my spirit to the spirit of God. I do it privately. So I've been asked oh, about two dozen times over the last couple of weeks as people have been reading ahead and anticipating this. People come up to me and um, sometimes a little shyly and they go, so uh, Nate, do you? Do you speak in tongues? Are you ready for the answer? hmm And a lot. And I'm, I mean, I'm weird, but I'm not that weird, am I? Like, you nodded your head that I am that weird. Um, can I just, I'm gonna pause reading it. I just wanna tell you about my own experience in this. I think I was five years old. And it was um, a night where my, my parents' best friends uh, had just had this radical experience with Jesus, and I came to tell my parents that I was supposed to be in bed. I snuck downstairs, and I was in the other room. I could hear everything they were saying, and I, so I was like living in disobedience. I snuck out of bed. Nobody knew I was there, and I'm hearing my parents' best friends tell them about who Jesus is, what he's done, this transformation in their life. I'm listening. I remember laying on my back. I'm looking at the ceiling, and I have this profound vision of like Jesus, just arms open, embracing me. And that night, I had no context for this. I'd never heard of this. I began to speak in a language that I never learned. And I did it privately and quietly. And it was years later that I read this passage of scripture. And I'm like, oh, that's what I've been doing. I hid it because I didn't know. I I thought it was like my pretend friend. Like, why do I do this? But in times of fear and consternation, I do this. So how does this operate in my own life? I currently do not have like the one, you know, one I've never gone to another country and like spoken in their language. Never happened to me, I hope it does. I do not have the gift where I speak out loud in a public setting and somebody else interprets it. But this third gift, this personal prayer language, like I operate it in it every day. Here's an example. Yesterday afternoon, I'm meeting with somebody who is in a tough situation, very, very painful, and they need help, they need help. I'm hearing their story, I'm listening. You know what I'm doing in the back of my mind the whole time? I'm praying in my spiritual language. I just, I need help. Like, I'm just like, God, this is a big sticky situation. Now they don't know it. I didn't ever stop the meeting and go, hang on a second. Blah, 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 right? No, I'm just, I'm just doing this. And in the midst of it, I felt like there were some helpful things for them and some challenges for this person as they move ahead. Okay. So Paul says, I do this all the time. Nobody even knows about it. I had to tell them. Let's move on. But in the church, I would rather speak five, intelligible words to instruct others, than 10,000 words in a tongue. By the way, 10,000 is the largest number in the Greek numeric system. It doesn't get any higher. If you get above that, you say there were two 10,000s or three 10,000s, 30,000 people. So he's basically saying this, I would rather, personally, he says, even though I speak in tongues and a spiritual language more than all of you, I would rather speak five intelligible, God-ordained words than 10,000 and infinity of words in a language that you do not understand. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. Grow up, quit thinking that a spiritual language is the epitome deep spirituality. That is erroneous, wrong thinking. In regard to evil, I want you to be infants. I want you to be, uh, 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 I want you to be protected. I I want you to be um, infantile. But in your thinking, be adults. Grow up. In the law it is written. This is Isaiah 28. Speaking about how God can use the human voice. With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Now stop there for a second, because doesn't it seem like Paul just reversed course? Okay, here's what Paul's doing. Signs are either positive or negative. We'll take an example, which most of us would be familiar with. When the Hebrew people are leaving Egypt, God sends 10 plagues, 10 signs. If you're Hebrew, are they positive signs? Oh yeah, God's bigger than, than the Egyptian gods. If you're an Egyptian, what kind of sign is it? It's a bad sign. My river just turned into blood. There's frogs in my food, like this is not good. So Paul's saying this, it's a negative sign to the non-believer. If you're a visitor, like if some of you are just like this right now, you just walked in, it's your first time in church, first time tuning in, and you're like, oh man, do they talk about this stuff every week? It's scary for you. And that's what Paul says. Let's move on. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, okay? Can you imagine that? Like if we came together, you're, wherever you're watching online, and it was like, okay, one, two, three, everybody's speaking a spiritual language. It'd be weird, right? And it'd be good for you but not good for the people next to you. Like what was that? And inquirers, visitors, spiritually unresolved or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Your church services where everybody thinks that tongues is the highest gift, you come together and everybody's like talking in their own spiritual language. Visitors come in and go like, those people are nuts. They are crazy, but If an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. That's the important thing. If anyone speaks in a glossa, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let's take a few moments and uh, try to explore this a little bit, okay? I just have four things I'd like you to think about. Number one, number one. Paul says this in the entry to the entire chapter, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Okay, but he says, and I want you to desire the gift of prophecy above all else. This is the word we're talking about, the pneumaticos, the um, spirit animated things, these things that are beyond us. Now, here's the challenge. I think some of us would be like, yeah, 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 like I'm there, I'm there, like I want all these gifts all the time. And then a bunch of us, depending on like how you grew up or where you went to church or what you watched on Christian TV, would be like, brruh, brruh, no. Like, am I going to have to grow big hair and get weird? And um, Here's what Paul says. Like, these gifts are meant to help us do the work of Jesus here on planet Earth. And some of us could just kind of say, like, I, I don't know. like I've seen it abused or mistreated. In all of this, even where Paul's trying to correct their perspective on spiritual language, he still says, I want you all to do this. And he says, I don't want you just sit around and passively hope that one day you'll begin to experience the spiritual gifts. I want you to eagerly desire. I want you to be proactive. I want you to be pursuing the spiritual gifts. And some of us, that is just a terrifying thing. And I understand that. Paul says, if you wanna do the work of Jesus Christ here on planet Earth, you're gonna need these spiritual gifts. And you can't afford just to be passive and hope that one day they show up. Paul says, step out. How do you eagerly desire spiritual gifts? I first say, first of all, just pray. Especially if you find yourself resistant to this, just pray. I, I was talking to one of my really good friends after the last service. Uh, we're in a small group together, and uh, he's la- he laughed. He grew up Catholic, and he grew up in uh, northern Montana, and he says, while you were talking, I remember this. We drive by this lady's house when I was a kid, and my mom would go, hey, be careful of that lady. She speaks in tongues, <laughs> right? <laughs> she was like the scary lady on the street. Well, if that's my background, I'm going to need to pray. I'm going to say, God, would you make me open to things that I'm not necessarily in control of. Um, I just wanna pray for room and space. I wanna ask that gifts would be operative in my life. So pray, create space, pause, learn, explore, listen. And then the third one would just be step out. If you wanna eagerly desire spiritual gifts, someday you're gonna to have to step out and that's scary. And then the fourth one would be you just gotta practice it. gotta practice it, don't hurt anybody. But like, like it's any gift. Like through time and process, you can function in these better. So please, every one of us, no matter like how resistant you feel to this or what abuse you've seen, don't just dismiss spiritual gifts. Paul says eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Why? Because the world needs them. Remember this, this whole pneumaticos is meant to ease people's burdens. He says, I give you spiritual gifts because like the weight is too much for people. I want to give somebody else to help them carry that eagerly desire spiritual gifts number two worship with your mind and beyond worship with your mind and beyond so remember Paul said this so what what am I going to do he says I'm going to pray with my spirit and I'm going to pray with my mind I am not going to do just one or the other And I think most of us would be more comfortable with one or the other. Some of us were on that rational side, we wanna pray with our mind, like just give me a good theology book. Let me study the Bible. Let me gain more knowledge. That is very important. Let me pray, but let me pray with really specific words. And then some of us would be like, I'm not really into the intellectual thing. Like I just wanna experience God, right? Give me a flowing dress and a tambourine. Let me dance a little bit. Right, Let me like get my emotions involved in it. Some of us are more inclined towards this. And Paul says, neither one is wrong or bad. He says, I just want you to pray in the spirit. I want you to understand that there is a world out there and your body doesn't completely understand it all. I want you to be engaged in that. And I also want you to be engaged in this. And here's the problem, here's the problem. Most churches in America today gravitate to one or the other. You come over to this church and if you are not sweaty after worship, like you did not worship, right? It's gotta be like, woo, woo, woo. But then a bunch of churches in America are like this, like, don't you dare smile, close your eyes, think about the song. This song was written 500 years ago. There's specific theology, engage with the theology, right? It's very, very intellectual Paul says, you know what a healthy disciple of Jesus does? They can be in both worlds. And they can worship and sing with their spirit. Just beyond them. And they can just as well engage and think deeply and reflect and study the scriptures. So be in both. And and here's what I would say, like, whichever one you are more comfortable with, Stretch yourself in the other direction. Pray in both. And for a bunch of us who grew up in a very rational society, this is the side where you're like, "Eh." step out. Learn to worship God. Learn to commune with your creator beyond like the physical and the rational realm, like be engaged with him, whichever way it is. Number three, number three, remember Paul's vision for the church. Okay, through everything that Paul says, and he says it again in chapter 14, he says, when you come together, I want you to bring something. Not just the spiritual language. This is not the epitome of spirituality. I want you to come with a hymn, a word of encouragement. I want you to come with some sort of gift for the people in the room. And again and again, Paul continues to come back to this. I, I'm astounded at how much the Corinthians end up like the church in North America, that they were a little bit consumer, consumeristic. Like I come to church for me, I come to church and I'm going to like yell out in my prayer language and try to impress everybody with how many, you know, like how extensive my vocabulary is. Paul says, when you come to church, you have to remember that you don't go to church, you are the church, that the church is collaborative by nature, that I do not come to church just as a receiver. I come as a distributor, okay? So when the church is really, really functioning well, is you receive things, but then you give things that when you come to your small group or you're in the office or you're at school or you're in a church setting like this, that I come into the room and I'm not just expecting to receive. I'm expecting that God is going to do something through me to lighten the load for someone else. Church is not an observer sport. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It is engagement. That is why the spirit of God is there so that he can work through you to do his work in someone else. Remember Paul's vision of the church. Here's the fourth and final thing. Offer God your voice. Offer God your voice. Next week we'll talk a little bit more about the power of words, but I just want you to think for a moment about some of the most hurtful words that have ever been spoken to you. Oftentimes it comes when you're young and is damaging. There's not a week that goes by where I am not talking with a man, this happens to women as well, but I'll be talking to a man who's in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, sometimes 70s, who is still dealing with a wound because of something their father said or did not say. Something harmful their father said to them or something their dad needed to say but was unable to say. I, I, I find men constantly walking through their father wound and it usually has to do with words, right? Words have the power to hurt, to destroy, to set people back. I want you to think about like your own words. I was reflecting on this and like it just, like it broke my heart to think of the times in my life Where in anger, I've said things that you just can't take back. Said things to people you disagreed with, to my spouse. I was thinking about, like, I'm on my fourth teenager right now. And, like, there are times when I've said things to my teenagers. And, like, as soon as it leaves your mouth, you're like, oh, they're gonna need to go to counseling about that. Like, (laughs) it doesn't matter how much I apologize. Like, why did I say that? So most of us feel like we don't have enough to say or we say all the wrong things. The big emphasis that Paul is making in this passage is this. The God of the universe can use your voice. He can use your tongues, your words to bring life, to bring restoration, to bring this intimate worship between God and a human being. And so I think the big portion of this text, if I would just challenge you to do one thing is like, could you just surrender your voice to God? Next week we'll talk about what does that mean to be a prophetic person. But even in this, instead of me controlling, like can I just, God, you just have permission. You have permission to speak through me You have permission to speak through me in ways I understand, in ways I don't understand. I'm gonna value, I'm gonna be careful of the things I say, but would the God of the universe work through us to be our hands, our feet, and what? His mouthpiece, his mouthpiece. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.